The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts is the King of glory. I'm going to read you a quote from St. Augustine. He was a theologian and a scholar around 400 AD, a long time ago. Let me read you a quote, and I'm going to leave one word blank, and I want to see if you can guess what the word is in his quote. So it's like a quiz. Uh, I'm a teacher. Welcome back, James. So, <laughs> unless the Savior had blank, unless the Savior had blank, his nativity would have come to nothing, his passion would have borne no fruit in us, and his most holy resurrection would have been useless. Ooh. Say it again. Unless the Savior had blank, what is the word? His nativity would have come to nothing, his passion would have borne no fruit in us, and his most holy resurrection would have been useless, says Augustine. The blank word is ascended into heaven. Now that surprised me, because I've had a tendency over my life um, to think, why did Jesus go back so soon? I kind of thought, well, you know, he, he, he's born, wonderful, celebrate that every year on Christmas. He lives the perfect life. He dies the death, Good Friday, we celebrate that. He's risen again, we celebrate that. And then 40 days later, he ascends. And we don't really celebrate that. Um, in Norway, they actually, and I've, I've learned this through Charlotte, in Norway, they actually do, that's a, that's a national holiday, Ascension Day 40, day, 40 days after Easter. I think we have a tendency to get very, very excited about all those wonderful things and neglect the Ascension. Because really, like, if you imagine, imagine, right? Like, Jesus rises and he's resurrected. And then imagine if he stayed for like three years or 15 years or 25 years. Wouldn't that have made more sense? Because the big problem we have now is people say, well, Jesus didn't actually rise again, right? And Paul says in Corinthians, the, the Christian faith is based on that idea, the resurrection of Christ. But if he'd stayed for 30 years or 40 years, like, how do you deny that? Do you know what I mean? So why did he go? Why did he go? Jesus actually says to his disciples in John 14, it is better that I go. And so we're going we're gonna to try and explore that today. Why? So uh, let's look at Psalm 24. Uh, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 says, I'll just click through. That is very small. My apologies. Uh, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon, upon the seas and established it upon the river. So as David is, as the ark is coming into Jerusalem, David is wanting the people to sing and to bring into their mind that the earth is the Lord's. He owns it. 
he owns it. And people in it, he owns as well. They're his, it's all his. And it gives a simple reason in verse two, for he has founded it, he has established it. He is the creator, it is his. I wondered just, and like just briefly, I wonder if how that would change the way we look at people and the way we look at the people that we interact with in the week and the people we work with or the people we go to school with, if we really believed. And we really kind of had at the forefront of our mind that, you know, this is, these people are the Lord's. He has ownership over them. Spurgeon has a great quote. Um, the great landowner and true proprietor holds his court above the clouds and laughs at the title deeds of worms of the dust. Uh, Spurgeon, in his very gentle, pastoral way, uh, calls us worms and says the Lord laughs because it's not really ours, it's his. And so David asked the question in verse 3, he says, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his most holy place? And the question he's asking is, okay, that God, the one who owns all, you guys, everything around, everything you can see, who can stand in his presence? Who can ascend? For the creature ascends to the creator. That's the image that David's giving. It's an uphill work. And it's worth asking the question, okay, well, why should we want to stand in the most holy place of the Lord? Why, why should we want to stand? Why should we want to make the ascension? Uh, at the moment, uh, the World Cup final, the women, they're about 35, 37 minutes in to the World Cup final. For those women in the World Cup final, right, the ultimate place that they want to stand is on the podium in the middle of the pitch holding the World Cup trophy. That's the ultimate goal for them, right? That's the best it gets. And yet David is saying here, well, actually, the biggest question we should be asking is not what is the best accomplishment we can have in this life, but how can we stand before God? For that is, that is the best place one can stand, in the throne room of heaven before the Lord his creator. And, and there's another reason that we should want to ascend the hill. In verse 5, it says, He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So not only are you standing in the presence of the Almighty, but if you can stand, if you can actually stand in front of him, you receive blessing, you receive righteousness, you receive salvation. Wonderful things. Things that we deeply need. And so what are the criteria? What's the criteria for who can ascend the hill? Who can ascend the hill? He says, David, in verse 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. You can kind of summarize this into pure actions and pure desires. Pure actions. He who has a clean heart. Who uh, he who does not swear deceitfully. The way we live has to be pure. And the, our desires have to be pure. He who, has, uh, uh, who does not lift his soul to what is false and has a pure heart. Luther sums it up really well. Um, I'm going to read this quote uh, from Martin Luther. It says, It is not he, I'll read it, It is not he who sings so well, or so many psalms, nor he who fasts, or watches so many days, nor he who divides his own among the poor, nor he who preaches to others, nor he who lives quietly, kindly, and friendly, nor in fine. It is he who knows all sciences and languages, nor he who works all virtuous and all good works that ever any man spoke or read of. 
but it is he alone who is pure within and without. And if you think coming to church or acting like a Christian is going to get you up that hill, then you're wrong. It is only he who is pure within and without. And if we're being really honest, right, we should hear those words, we should hear verse 4, and that should crush us. That should defeat us. If you hear those words, he who has a clean hand, uh, he who has, in verse 4, clean hands and a pure heart, and think, hey, that's me, you're wrong. None of us are. You know, and I can stand up here this morning and preach. If I'm being really honest, there's parts of me this morning that are not pure. Deep down in me, there's something, there's something in there that loves the praise of man and the recognition of man. Or when I parent, you know, and, and my, my, my kids are, uh, they never misbehave, um, but they are being maybe difficult, quote unquote. You know, and in those moments, am I pure towards them? Or do I get frustrated that I'm not good enough? And I realize I'm not good enough. We don't have clean hands. We don't have pure hearts. We lift our souls to what is false all the time, all the time. In fact, when you read those, those words, you should honestly think that those are conditions that suit one man, one man, Jesus. We cannot ascend. We cannot stand. The only one who can stand is Jesus. Because as and in Victoria summed it up incredibly well. I don't need to repeat it too much. Jesus came. He lived the perfect life. He was pure within and without, only seeking the glory of the Father, only seeking the will of the Father. And he is the one that at the end of his life deserved to ascend into glory and to stand in front of his Father. But where did he go? He ascended the hill and was crucified for our sin. He died a death that he did not deserve he deserved the throne room of heaven, and yet he was broken and beaten for our iniquities, for our transgressions. And yet the wonderful news and what we sang of earlier, the wonderful news is that that did not defeat him, that in the wonderful act of salvation of Jesus, paying the penalty for our sin, he rose again, defeating death, defeating sin, breaking the power of hell, and, the, and he rose in glory. And David here in verses 7 to 8, he's talking about the ascension of the ark up the hill into Jerusalem. But ultimately, David is pointing towards the ascension of Jesus into glory. Let me read verses 7 to 10. It says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. And lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Who's the King of glory? It's Jesus. He is the King of glory. And I love in, the ver in, verse, in verse 8, it says, The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Because as Jesus ascended up the hill into heaven 40 days after he'd risen, he bears the scars, his battle wounds, if you might, as he ascends into the Father's presence. We sang that first song, for, and there's one verse I want to say again. A crown him, the Lord of love, 
Behold, his hands and side, rich wounds yet visible above, in, in beauty glorified. No angels in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends their burning eyes at mysteries so bright. We have a glorious king. I'm going to tell a story. Uh, I'm going to admit fault. I only do this once every 10 years, I think. I'm trying to think about how many times I've done in my life, admit fault. Um, and I'm not talking about admitting fault to Charlotte, because that happens every day. Uh, I'm talking about admitting fault that I might have been wrong in a debate with my twin brother, Kel. Um, and I don't think, well, have I ever done this before? Um, he's always wrong, but maybe not this time. So uh, just a bit of context. Uh, this would have been four years ago just before we got, me and Charlotte got married. And uh, me and Callum and the family were over in Germany visiting my parents. Um, we're on a lake. Me and Callum said, Mum, we want to go out with you for the day because we want to be good sons. Um, so we're sitting on a rowboat uh, to make Mum happy. And the whole time, to make Mum even more happy, we were debating uh, theology, um, which she loved. She loved. And um, we, we had this debate for a good 20, 25 minutes of like, where is Jesus now, right? And I'd come out of Cavenry Bible School, and the big emphasis of Cavenry Bible School is that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. That Christ is doing in you what you cannot do. Callum was arguing, not arguing, sorry. Callum was gently discussing with me um, that, no, no, no. In fact, Christ is in glory, and his spirit is in you, and not Christ himself. Now, oh, this is difficult to do. No one tell him that this is recorded. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because in that moment, in that 20, 25 minutes of debate with my brother, my younger brother, I might say, um, he, I neglected, I think, it never came to my mind, this idea that Christ has ascended. And like, I knew it. Obviously, I knew it. But it didn't come to my mind. It wasn't something that was lodged deep in my heart of this is a wonderful thing that's happened. And so I think I'd neglected where Christ is. Now, I'm not saying he's not in you. The Bible makes that clear as well. And the wonderful news is that Christ above and Christ in you. But I neglected that completely. And I was wrong. So uh, we'll move on from that. Now, I wonder what you think of when you think of Jesus, because... This is an image, if I'm being really honest, as I was like studying this passage and reading through this passage, when someone says, like, hey, what is Jesus like? This picture never comes to my head, okay? I'm going to read uh, Revelation chapter 1. Um, it says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. This is John. He has a vision of Jesus. And he says, on, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the, the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive. Forevermore, I have the keys of death. And Hades, that is Jesus, ascended into glory. Who is the king of glory? It's Jesus. 
And Paul really helpfully, and I'm going to read this as well in Ephesians chapter 1, explains what Jesus is doing now. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. It's amazing when you read the scriptures again with this in mind, you see how often they mention he is seated in the heavenly places. He was, he was ascended. Um, keep going. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So who can ascend the hill? It's Jesus. Who can stand in his most holy place? It's Jesus. But if I don't want to just stop there, okay? That's wonderful news. But I don't want to stop there because I want to ask the question, what about us then? Does it mean then if we follow Jesus, if you're a Christian this morning, then great, Jesus did it. That means that if I just work really hard, like I can do it too, or somehow get caught in Jesus' slipstream as he goes up the hill. No, that's not, what, that's not how we should read this as believers. Ray Otland says this, he says, we don't leverage ourselves into that better place. God lifts us up into it. God relocates brokenhearted failures collapsed into the arms of Christ in this new place of no condemnation. We have now ascended the hill without having to climb it. We don't have to make any effort to climb the hill because the one who climbed the hill picks us up and brings him with us. He sticks sticks us over his shoulder and says, I'll climb it. You stick with me. When we have faith in Christ, as verse 6 says in Psalm 24, uh, those who seek him in faith... Jesus uh, picks us up. We are then in Christ. And what is true of Christ in glory is true of us. So in the same way that Jesus has favor in front of his Father, we have favor in front of our Father. In the same way that Jesus is seen as pure and spotless in front of his Father, we are seen as pure and spotless in front of our Father. Not because we've done anything, but just because we have faith, because we believe. And Paul puts it really well in Colossians 3. And I'm going to read Colossians, uh, Colossians 1. Sorry, it says, if, no, that should say Colossians 3, my bad. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seating at, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Paul makes this image, doesn't he, of of we are hidden in Christ, in the heavenly places. And that we, no matter who tries to accuse us or who tries us to rip us out of that place, they won't get to us because we're hidden in our king, the king of glory. So I want to go back to that question. Was it better that Jesus left? Yes, it was. Can you imagine if we really, like at the forefront of our minds, in our lives, if that stuck with us, that we are in Christ in the heavenly places, and what's true of him is true of us. Could you imagine how we would realize that Jesus, the one who has ascended, that reigns, that has all dominion and power and glory, he loves me, he cares for me. And everything that comes into my life and every situation I find myself in, he has purposes in it. 
He is working for our good. Could you imagine if we believed that fully? The freedom that would bring no matter what comes. If you're having financial problems, well, hang on a sec. Yes, I'm having trouble with finance, but my life is hid with Christ on high. And the King of glory, the one who ascended into his throne with glory and dominion and power, he loves me. He cares for me. Could you imagine what, if we believe this, that the way that we are standing in Christ is now totally forgiven and free? How that would change the way we live? The verdict is in, because when God sees you, he sees Christ. And if Christ could ascend the, the hill, so can we. Let me read this quote from Tim Keller. He says, if you're touchy because you got slighted, if you're driven because you know you're trying so hard to prove yourself, the Holy Spirit has not brought the ascension of Jesus home to your heart. But Keller says, but if the Holy Spirit does bring the ascension of Jesus home to your heart, there'll be courage, there'll be playfulness, there'll be poise. Let me close with a story from Acts chapter 7 uh, with Stephen. Uh, it says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. Oh, sorry, Stephen, by the way, had just basically done a big speech telling the Jews, you killed Jesus, you killed the King of glory. And it says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. For Stephen, in the midst of a horrible death, the thing that brought him comfort and joy and peace was looking up and seeing a resurrected Jesus standing in glory at the right hand of the Father. And the reality of what was up there completely overshadowed what he was going on, what was going on for him down here. He wasn't afraid to die. May that be true of us as well. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you you ascended. We thank you that you chose to go back into heaven in glory to reign. Father, we thank you that we can look to that event in every moment of every day and it can bring us comfort and peace and joy. Father, may we be like Stephen in this moment who looked up in the midst of his distress and saw you in glory. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.